Romans 12, I'm going to read from the first verse. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Last time we were looking at this, which is a while back now, we were seeing how Paul has summed up his account of the gospel. He has spoken about what Jesus has done, what God has done for us in Christ. And he's spelt the whole thing out. He's looked at any possible loose ends and he's tied them up. And he comes to this conclusion at the end of chapter 11, just this song of praise about the depth of the riches of God, his wisdom and his knowledge, his inscrutable wisdom. He is blown away by the sheer majesty, the magnitude of what God has done for us in Christ. And then he says, now a response is called for. Therefore, chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, how do we respond? Well, we just give ourselves without reservation to God. We offer our body. That means all that we are, all that we do, every activity, all handed over to God. And that's our spiritual worship. Worship is not something that just happens in a temple. Worship is us giving ourselves without reservation to God. That's our spiritual act of worship. What does that mean? We're no longer molded by the standards, pressures of the world, but something changes us from the inside. We're transformed as our mind gets hold of truth. All that we've looked at in chapters 1 to 11, our mind is gripped by that. It necessarily will change our value system and it will change our behavior. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then God's will is something that we're now actually tasting, testing it and saying, yes, that's good. We approve of God's will where previously we'd been hostile to God, enemies of God, naturally rebels against him. Now we want to go God's way. So Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than we ought. When we looked at that verse, we saw we need a high view of God, all that we've seen in those, those preceding chapters, a high view of God, a realistic view of who we are. Don't think of yourself more highly than you, you should, but with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith. A high view of God, 
realistic view of me and then a right view of others. We belong to a body, we're part of a group. And that's what I want us to look at this morning, verses 4 and 5 and into verse 6 as well. Just as, or it sh- verse 4 should begin with the word for, he said, uh, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you for. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't have all the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body. Part of our response to the grace of God right view of ourselves, realistic view of ourselves, and then a right view of others that actually we're not just an individual Christian. We belong in the church. Paul doesn't actually use the word church here. He speaks of the body, but that's what he's speaking about. Part of our response to the grace of God is our involvement with other people, our involvement with the body of Christ. So he uses this picture, verse 4, each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ. Now, this is a familiar image, we see it elsewhere in the Bible, and we can maybe, if we've been around any length of time, we can feel, yeah, we, we know about that, we understand that, the church is the body of Christ, we, we understand that. I imagine that when the Romans heard this letter read to them for the first time, that this will have come to them as something very new, very radical, something that they had probably never heard before. Because it is radical. We can be familiar with it, and we can want to press on maybe to something else, But actually, Paul is saying here something that is radically different from anything these people will have known previously. If they were Jews, then the norm for them previously maybe could have been the temple. If they ever had the privilege of going to Jerusalem and seeing the temple there, there was the high priestly family. The, the, the people would come and they'd bring their offering, but they give their offering to the priest, and the priest offers it. Once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, but there's this priestly caste, and then there's all the dignitaries of the temple, and the ordinary people just go, and they bring their money, and they bring their offering, but it's the priests who do it all. More locally, there was the synagogue. In the synagogue, there's the rabbi, there are the the professionals, if you like, the the trained specialists who do the serious stuff, and the people come as the congregation. If they were not Jews, if they uh, were were among the Gentiles, and whatever religion they had belonged to, again, there would be the priests, there would be the trained specialists, as I call them, those who do the stuff, and the ordinary people come as the congregation. Here... Paul is speaking about something radically different from that. He's talking about ordinary people. We who are many form one body in Christ. This is totally different. Where in normal religion, 
the specialists do what ordinary people are not qualified to do or indeed are not allowed to do, he is saying, hey, many become one body in Christ. This was something that had been foretold, although it was in many ways new. Nonetheless, it's there in the prophets. You'll be familiar with the prophet Joel, and in Joel chapter 2, verse 28, Joel sees this. He hears God saying, Afterwards, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. There's a promise there of a day when the Spirit of God is going to be poured out widely on ordinary people who will then have a ministry, we could put it. Your sons and your sons and daughters will prophesy an equipping of ordinary people where there's widespread revelation and ordinary people have got a contribution because of this outpouring of the Spirit. And of course, we know on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus has died, been raised from the dead, spent 40 days teaching his disciples, showing them, convincing them that he's really alive. He goes back to heaven, and then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the disciples that Jesus had called to himself, ordinary people, many different backgrounds, none of them priests. And on this ordinary group of people, the Spirit of God comes, and they start doing what they've never done before, not least speaking in languages that they've not learned before. The Holy Spirit equipping them. And then Peter, a fisherman by trade, stands up and preaches so effectively in the power of the Spirit that 3,000 people are saved. What Joel had said happened. Indeed, Peter, of course, quotes Joel's prophecy and says, this is it. The Holy Spirit coming on ordinary people and equipping them to do what they had not been trained to do. And you know the story in the book of Acts in chapter 4, when chapter 3 we read of Peter and John being used to heal a man who had never walked before. The professionals are offended by this. The priests, the captain of the temple guard, the Sadducees, they come and arrest Peter and John because Peter and John aren't qualified. Peter and John aren't professionals. They've got no business doing this stuff, and the professionals are offended. And in Acts chapter 4, they, verse 7, they ask this question, by what power or what name did you do this? And course, who gave you the rights? You're ordinary people. And that's what they realize. In verse 13, they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. They're astonished. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. This is it. It's radically different. No longer clergy and laity, as we could put it. No longer the people who perform and the other people who watch. Now the Spirit of God poured out on unschooled, ordinary people who have been with Jesus. 
ah, something's happened. This is the new day that the prophet Joel had spoken about. It happened, it's broken in, and that is what Paul is speaking about. Now, of course, it is radically different, and it conflicts with normal expectations. The normal expectation in religion is that you will have a priest, or you'll have a minister, or you'll have a vicar, and you'll have the ordinary people who are there to participate and watch the professionals doing their stuff. That's the normal expectation. Paul here is teaching something different, and it is so important that he not only stresses it here to the Romans, whom he's not yet met, he reinforces it to the Corinthians that he has met, He reinforces it to the Ephesians. He reinforces it to the Colossians. Why in all of those letters does he speak about this? Because it's so radically different that the danger is that people will slip back into the normal expectation, which, of course, is exactly what happened. You get into the early second century, just a generation or two after Paul is speaking, And you soon begin to see the bishop on his throne, robes. You see the professionals. It it happened very quickly. And then as time went on, of course, you get all the, 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 the traditional rigmarole and ritual of professional religion and the ordinary people who are just there to watch, observe, pay the bills but the professionals do it all. And so then you get church architecture where you have the ordinary people sitting in there in the nave, but then behind the screen there's some steps up and right at the top end of the building you have the priest. What are we talking about? A priest? Jesus is the final high priest. He has done it. And in the the traditional church, an altar? What are we talking about? An altar. There are no more altars. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Oh, yeah, but normal expectations take over. Back in the 1970s, before most of you were born, back in the 1970s, after what was called the the start of the charismatic movement, there was an outpouring of the Spirit, God sending His Spirit into many mainline denominational churches, people filled with the Spirit. And then in the 1970s, the increasing realization that if people who are filled with the Spirit, if they're going to actually function in the gifts that God has given them, we've got to break out of tradition. Many of us left denominations, were thrown out of denominations. There was a lot of trouble going on as, as the Spirit of God was moving, and we wanted to worship freely as a body. No one-man ministry anymore, but together we are a body uh, worshiping God. And then you look what's happened. What has happened as time has gone on is that increasingly you get a good band. I'm not going to say, I'm so glad we haven't got one. No, we've, we've got a good band. What you have in many churches, you have a good band, and then I mean, the layout of this building actually is not helpful. We have to fight against it. Because here we have rows facing the front. There's a platform, and the band are here. Are we here as the audience to observe how good they are? Oh, weren't the band good this morning? No, 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 no. They are only there to facilitate what we are doing. 
But in many churches, it's not like that now. Churches that broke out, wanted to express the body of Christ, oh, but they, the band are good. And so, I mean, I know of one church, and maybe there are more, but I know of one, where the band pre-record a backing track so that as they are playing, the backing track is there. And, of course, no one then can pray out. They'd mess up the whole thing. And so contributions for the people are criticized as interruptions in the worship. What? What has happened? Oh, yeah, well, we revert to the norm. We revert to the norm where you have the specialists and the audience. Paul is talking here about something radically different, and it is so different, it has to be spelt out, and he spells it out to many of the churches he has visited, because it is so important. We don't get back into Old Testament-type worship, where there's the priest and all the ritual, and the people are just there as the congregation, the audience, the spectators. As I say, that, that's a strong pull, and historically, it often wins. So let's look at what Paul is saying here. Let's look at what God is saying here through the Apostle Paul. Things that matter to God, God's design for the church. And what he says is that he says, in, just as each of us has one body with many members, these members don't all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body. Notice the important thing there, in Christ. That's where it starts. This is talking about people who are in Christ. That's the theme that he spelled out in chapter 5 and chapter 6. He spoke in chapter 5 about the great division in all of humanity between two separate races with two figureheads, if you like, at the head of each race. There's Adam and there's Christ. By birth, everyone is in Adam. He is the first human being, and all human beings are in his race. And Adam sinned. Adam expelled from God's presence, and that's where humanity is. All have sinned because Adam sinned. All cut off from God because Adam, the head of their race, led them into rebellion. That's one section of the human race. But then another man comes, the second man, Jesus Christ. And he perfectly fulfills his Father's will. And he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice to suffer things that he hadn't done but that we had. He took the whole record of all that we had done on himself suffered the wrath of God that we deserve, rose again to show God has accepted his sacrifice. And now those who simply believe move out of Adam into Christ. Adam taking us out of God's presence into sin. Christ bringing us into God's presence in righteousness. It's all about which man we are in. In Adam, in Christ. And by faith, 
by believing in Jesus, by receiving Him as Savior, by repenting of our sin, admitting all we've done wrong, and saying, I believe when Jesus died, He died for me. We, we, by faith, we are incorporated in this new race. Now, in Christ, we who are many form one body. When we come into Christ, we have a new life, we receive His Spirit, and because we're integrated into Christ, we become connected with one another. It's inevitable. The lone Christian who is not part of a church is a total contradiction in terms, a tragic contradiction in terms, because God intends that as we come into Christ, we come into a new people. We were the people who were in Adam, now we are the people who are in Christ, and that needs to find expression. We need to be joined into a body, integrated into Christ. So Paul uses the analogy of our own body. Each of us has one body with many members. <coughs> Obviously, that we're, we're aware of that. We are aware. I trust this doesn't come as revelation to you that you've got just one body. If you're making a note of that and sort of underlining it, there's something a little bit wrong. And you are aware that there are many components in your body. And you are aware, I trust, that they are all connected with one another and you don't have to check that you brought them all with you this morning. Every part of you connected, it belongs and hopefully functioning. One body many members, and they don't all have the same function. Variety of functions, some visible, some invisible, but they're all doing their stuff, which is why you are still breathing, why you are still hopefully awake and looking at me and understanding, because everything is working so well. That's who we are. Now, Paul says, that's a picture, if you like, of the church, the body of Christ. So in Christ, we who are many form one body. We are members, each, and each member belongs to all the others. We are members of this body. Unified, many different functions, many different types of people, but all belonging together. Each one of us is individually a member and connected to one another. That's what Paul is saying. Now, this builds on what he has said in verse 3. Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. If we have a realistic view of ourselves, a sober view, we'll see our strengths. We won't exaggerate them. We'll also see our weaknesses. And we won't exaggerate them either. We'll see strengths and weaknesses. None of us is perfect. None of us has got it all. We've all got a measure of faith. So we need to be joined to one another so that the things that were at the areas of weakness, areas of inability, joined with one another. We need to belong. Individually, each is a member, but a member has to be a member of something. You can't just be a member of nothing because you're not a member then. If we, we're members, and we're members of this body, we belong with one another. 
and we exist in order to be joined to one another. A couple of years ago, you could perhaps have been shown something, a little bit of medical engineering. You could have been shown an artificial hip. You could have looked at it and you could have admired the skill by which this was constructed, the articulation of it, and indeed it, it could have been a, maybe a rather odd work of art, but you could have put it on a mantelpiece somewhere, you could have put it on a glass case, in a glass case you could have admired it. But that wasn't what it was designed for. It was designed to be part of a body, and that hip is now in my body. Now, when you, if you'd looked at all those years, you could have admired the way it was constructed. Now, you can't see it. Now, in fact, it gets no attention at all, apart from the fact that it's getting a bit now because I'm speaking about it. But normally it doesn't. It's doing what it was designed for. It was not designed to be admired, not designed to be on its own. It was designed to be part of a body. Now it is part of a body. doesn't draw attention to itself. I guess there has never been a core group meeting when the core group leader has said, what do you remember from Sunday morning? And, they said, and someone has said, I think about Arnold's hip. I guess you know, it, it doesn't really draw attention to itself. But because it's doing what it was designed to do, I'm standing here speaking to you now. And if it were not doing what it was designed to do, if it were not part of my body, I would not be standing here right now. We are individually members of the body of Christ. We were not designed to be on our own. We were not designed just to draw attention to ourselves, to have profile to say, look how well I've been constructed, as it were. No, we're designed to fit in the body and do what we were designed to do. Maybe being forgotten, almost. Maybe not being particularly visible or audible. But because we're doing what God designed us to do and gifted us to do, the body is able to do what God wants it to do. You see the picture? So in Christ, we who are many form one body, designed to be joined. The many form one body, and each of us has a function, different functions. Some will be public, some not. Some involve speaking, some don't. Variety of different functions, just as in the human body. We who are many form one body. Each has a role, and there is no division between the professionals, the clergy, and the ordinary people, the laity. That just does not figure. It is one body with a variety of function that comes through a number of people. It is not all expressed in one person, but in a body. It's a beautiful design, and it's radical. It is the result of the outpouring of the Spirit on ordinary people. It's how God wants it to be. The issue is gift. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. It's about gift. 
It's not about status. It's not about training. It's not about qualification. It's about gift. And a gift, by definition, is given. It is not earned. It is not what we deserve. It is grace distributed that enables us to function. Now, Paul goes on, and we'll look at this another time in verses 6 through to 8. Paul goes on to look at some of the gifts, just a, a, a sample uh, list there of gifts that are given. And I'm, uh, it is just maybe not entirely random, but it's a sample list. No order of precedence, but I do think it's significant that buried in that, and well and truly buried in that, is the gift of leadership. Leadership, then, is not an elite. Leadership is not something separate. Sadly, because, again, of normal expectations, leaders can separate themselves and people can separate leaders. And think leaders are some kind of special class where you don't be friends with them because they're elders or they're core group leaders or, or she's a core group leader's wife. Yeah. Oh, come on, it's a body. And we're all in this together with different gifts, but not status. There is nothing that isolates any particular gift from the others any more than in the body. The body is integrated. It works as a coordinated whole. And that's the body of Christ. And leadership is just one gift among many, but it is not a status. It is not something that isolates any more than any of the other gifts that are mentioned there. And then Paul says, we, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. That's a fascinating thought. Obviously, that's true in the human body, that you know, my finger belongs to the rest of me, and the rest of me <coughs> can say, that's my finger. Have you thought of that about the church? That each one of us if you're a member of the church, each one of us belongs to the others. In other words, no longer alone, no longer, if you like, a free agent. You belong. But it's not just no longer a free agent, it's actually you're cared for. So I thought about that. I thought, if I, going out of the building later on, saw someone trying to get into my car, I would draw myself up to my full height, if not higher, go slightly red in the face, I'm sure, and say, hey, that car belongs to me. Because if someone was trying to do something to it, hey, that's mine. Now, what Paul is saying here, think about one another like that. Hey, they belong to me. They belong to us. This is our Dan. He's ours. That's our Anne there. She's ours. And so we can look around. Sorry if I didn't mention your name. Don't get offended. We all belong to one another. And there should therefore be a, a kind of almost a jealousy for one another, a protectiveness about one another, a caring, a praying for one another. And for ourselves, not to think, I'm on my own. No, I belong to them. They they, they kind of, well, not exactly own me, but they, they value me. 
I belong. I, I'm yours. You're mine. You're my people. I'm, you know, where we, it's a belonging. I think it's a great idea here. We need to get hold of it. Because so many people isolate themselves. So many people just needlessly feel that they're on their own. That no one really cares about them. No, each one belongs to all the others. We need to express that. We need to make sure people feel that. And we need to feel it about others. But we've got a, a jealous concern for one another. We see the devils beginning to pick someone off. We're going to pray. We care. They're ours. Hey, that, that mustn't happen to them. We've got to protect them. We've got to draw a circle around them and make sure they're safe. They belong to us. We're one body. Now this is, as I say, it's radical. It's new. It's not what people would normally expect. But it's God's design. The whole thing matters because it's God's design. This is not just one way of doing church. This is what the Bible says God always intended to pour out His Spirit on ordinary people so that ordinary people have got a, a measure of gift. That they bring that gift along with other people who have got a measure of gift and together they're forming the body of Christ. This is how God wants the church to be. It's not just a nice idea. It's not just what some denominations do. No, this is what God says. It's His design. He designed it. And God is very wise. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments, His paths beyond tracing out. This is the design of the superbly wise God. And we need to see the wisdom of it. Something like this can keep growing. Something like this can be very mobilized. It's, it's able to move out. It's not static. I don't know if you've watched any of that series that was on for a few weeks on television about reverse missionaries. I know a number of people posted on Facebook about it. I found, um, people I know found it uh, very exciting and, uh, and stirring. I personally found it profoundly depressing, um, but that's me. And why I found it profoundly depressing was the picture it was giving of the church in the UK. I thought anyone tuning into that was seeing church after church that was just, just about staying alive. Few elderly people often sitting towards the back of the building, some poor minister trying to stay enthusiastic, and the whole thing just grinding to a halt. Think, oh, what's gone wrong with the church? Now, I, now, obviously, that's not the whole story about what is happening in this country, although that's how it's portrayed in that series. But God has designed church not to be a passive congregation and a minister trying to make it happen, but a body functioning together, a body where the life of God is in people and they are contributing what they've got. This is designed to grow. It's designed to be mobilized. It's designed to enable the people who are part of that organism to grow, 
to grow in faith, to grow in the ability to express their gift, to grow in confidence in God, so that the nations can hear the gospel. This is God's design, to be very mobile and, and to be able to go. It's God's wonderful design. It's not just a nice idea. It's the wisdom of God. Now, this will be expressed in the life of the church as a whole, and particularly, of course, when the church gathers together. Because when the church gathers together, you see what kind of church it is. And when the church gathers together, then we should see demonstrably happening that this is a body of people and that it's almost hard to know who's leading this thing. Now, <coughs> yes, we, we have a band, and, uh, and I'm thrilled with the, with the musicians that we've got, but they are there to accompany. They are there to go with the flow. Sometimes they'll bring a bit of a lead, but they're not there to lead it. It's the body together. And so when Paul is writing to the Corinthians who had got a bit out of control, he has to bring a bit of order into it, and it's helpful that he does because we have some straight teaching there. And in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, he says, To each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. In other words, to build up the church, to each one there is a manifestation of the Spirit. And he goes on to speak about there's some of the ways the Spirit of God will be manifest. When the church gathers together, that should be obvious. This is who we are. That God has gifted different people to do different things. And in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, verse 26, he says, What then shall we say, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a hymn, word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All these must be done for the strengthening of the church. These are not interruptions in the flow of worship. These are what it's about. The body, different gifts in different people, and people free to bring those gifts. Sorry about that. Everybody has its weaknesses, and this is mine. So when we gather together, that must be seen. So that means, if you are a member of this church, is it perhaps time for you to deal with self-doubt, to deal with reticence? Is it perhaps time for you to stir yourself to see it's not about the band or the elders, it's about a body. And God has given you a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. You are designed to be part of the body. Not, now, not every part of the body is going to be vocal. As I say, I've got a part in my body, a hip, that is just doing its stuff, it doesn't draw attention to itself. And maybe uh, you know, there's a whole variety of different gifts in the body that, that enable the whole thing to function, but they're never going to be particularly public. But there are many that will be public. And there's treasure in many of you that you never think of releasing because you don't even believe it's there. And you need to hear 
that God has given a manifestation of the Spirit to each one for the common good. God has put something in you, and if God has put something in you that he wants you to use to build up the church, then I plead with you, stir yourself out of self-doubt, out of maybe disappointments or hurts or whatever. All of that's the flesh. Put it aside and say, I believe in God's design. I believe this is how the church is meant to be. And I'm not going to sit on my hands. I'm not going to hold back and just observe what other people do and maybe be a bit critical about this. No, 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 no. We belong to one another. And if, if you are part of the church, you're ours. You're ours to function. So please function. It's all by grace. No one's drawing attention to themselves. It's all faith. And there's a kind of sound barrier that needs to be broken. So yeah, I'm going to speak out. I'm going to bring. I knew, I knew I had something. It was stirring. I was doubting it. I should have brought it. Hey, next time bring it. Whatever. There's a variety of gifts. We don't want to just go locked into any one form. And every gift has a variety. There are different ways of prophesying. There are different ways of, 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 of using the gift of tongues in song or just spoken. There's a variety. Don't measure yourself against someone else and say they're better than me, therefore I'll be quiet. No, no, no. God is, you know, I've got not just one hand but two. You might say, well, I've got one, why don't you know? No, they do. I'm right-handed. That one doesn't do what that can do. There's variety. It's great. And God puts different members in the body. Some have got more ability than others. But we need one another. I'm glad I've got two hands. Can't write with that one. I can with that. Not very well, but I can. And, but I'm glad I've got both. And hey, maybe you've got, if we've got some who are really excellent at prophesying. You think, oh, I, couldn't, I couldn't match them. Don't try. Bring the freshness of what you've got. Whatever. It's a body gathering together. Okay, we've got rows facing the front but you're not an audience. It's a body. And we're together to worship God. When the church gathers, we see what we believe about the church. And what we believe about the church is it is a body. But it's also 24-7. It's the rest of the week as well. We belong to one another and we are expressing the life of the church wherever we are. And together we aim to serve one another, to love one another, and together to make Jesus known in the community. Let's not think that when we go out of the door of the building, we then go on our individual way. No, each member belongs to all the others. So where you work, hey, you belong to us there. We care about what you're doing there want to pray for what you're doing. Tell us about what you're doing there so we can pray for you. We belong to one another. It's a body. It's, a, it's God's magnificent design to impact the world with the life of Jesus. And the life of Jesus is seen in his body. Let's get hold of it. Let's see the beauty of it and the power of it and determine we want, we want this thing to grow. The issue isn't my needs, my ministry, my profile. The issue is the welfare 
and growth of the church. And each of us should be saying, how can I serve? What can I do to make this thing work? What can I do to make this more effective? I see some areas of need that are being overlooked. I'm going to apply myself to that. Maybe no one will notice, but I want to serve. I want to see the thing grow to be much more effective. And we need to care for one another because, yes, we contribute our various gifts into the church, but actually the unfortunate flip side of that is we also contribute our faults. We contribute our failings into it all, our weaknesses, which is why we need one another. And we need to, we need to be aware that, that the devil will exploit areas of weakness and he'll, he'll play on vulnerable areas to maybe bring a bit of division, to bring some undercurrents of criticism. He wants to paralyze the church if he can. Hey, we care for one another. We've got to watch one another. Great care is needed because God doesn't have a plan B. Yeah, people have invented different ways of doing church, but no, this is God's design. He's the architect and the builder of his church. And there is no plan B. Let's value it. Let's say, let's throw in our lot with the church. It is not good to drift around. It is not good to maintain our isolation. Members of the body are joined. Your body is an integrated whole. We need to make sure we are a member of a church and we throw in our lot with that. Being a member of the church is not just getting your name in the address book. It's being part of the body. And yes, maybe people don't notice what you're doing, but you know you're serving. You're praying, you're caring, you're doing things behind the scene or in public, whatever, but you're part of it. Throw in your lot. Pray for the church, not just this one, but hey, to see the state of the church nationally, internationally. Care about God's design. Pray passionately for God's church to be restored to how He wants it how he designed it to be. Not something that lapses back into an Old Testament kind of priesthood, but something that's alive in the Spirit, functioning and growing as God wants it to be. Care about it. Pray about it. Come out of your isolation. Look to contribute. Seen or unseen, but contributing into it because... This is God's way for nations to see that Jesus is really alive. Those sort of churches we saw on television a few weeks back, that's not showing the nation that Jesus is alive. It is showing the nation the church is a spent force. No, we want people to see, hey, Jesus is alive and amongst his people. Just gather with us and you see God's here. That's God's design. Get hold of it. Get excited by it. I'm excited by it. I know many of you are, but hey, we need to keep remembering it. That's why the Bible tells us it. You belong to us. We belong to one another. God's built us together so that his power, his name, his glory is seen in the place where God has put us. There can't be a higher aim than that, a higher goal than that, a higher design than that. Let's believe it and give ourselves to it. Let's pray.